I want to say a couple of little things that might not be funny to you, but they are to me. Um, a week or so ago, Pastor Bert was speaking, and he's talking about his watch. Any of y'all remember him talking about his watch? And he said he wasn't really a watch person, and I thought to myself, well, I am. So I wear a watch all the time. I have two watches. One of them is a plastic Timex watch that I wear every day when I'm working and all that. And the other one is this watch. Isn't that a nice watch? Well, it's a $10 Walmart watch that I've had for eight or nine years, and it keeps perfect time. Have to replace the battery every once in a while, but it keeps perfect time. And I think that's great. I am really not a watch person, but I wear a watch all the time. Okay. <clears throat> I always like to start with a joke. And this one may be a joke that kind of steps on people's toes, but that's all right. We can have our toes stepped on in church, can't we? Can't we? Yeah, come on. So, to make it possible for everyone to attend church this coming Sunday, we're going to have a special No Excuse Sunday. Cots will be placed in the foyer for those who say Sunday's the only day I can sleep in. There will be a special section with lounge chairs for those who feel that the pews or the chairs are too uncomfortable. Eye drops will be available for those with tired eyes from watching TV late Saturday night. We will have steel helmets for those who say the roof would cave in if I ever came to church. Blankets will be furnished for those who think the church is cold and fans for those who think it's too hot. Scorecards will be available for those who wish to list all the, the hypocrites people present. Relatives and friends will be in abundance for those who can't get, it, get to church and cook dinner. We'll distribute stamp-out stewardship buttons for those who feel the church is always asking for money. One section will be devoted to trees and grass for those who seek God in nature. <laughs> Doctors and nurses will be on, on duty for those who plan to be sick. The sanctuary will be decorated with Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who have never seen the church without them. We will promise hearing aids for those who can't hear the preacher and earplugs for those who say the music is too loud. Now, you know, that's kind of funny. And all my life I've heard all those excuses for people not wanting to come to church. And um, we all know that most of those aren't valid, but they're, they're the excuses that people use. And they really are just excuses for not, them not taking seriously the availability of a good church. There are lots of good churches right here in Kerrville. But there are lots and lots of people who don't come to church. So, the title of my message is Putting the House of God First. Miss Becky's already talked about that some, and so I'll be reiterating some of the things that she said. But I'll also be talking about... Uh, some of the things that Pastor John said when he was here last Sunday. He gave us five reasons that God loves the church. 
And I'm going to reiterate those and try to get them to help sink into our spirit. I'm going to start with 1 Timothy 3.15. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and ground of truth. Now, Pastor John told us that the Greek word for the house, the house is oikos, O-I-K-O-S. It's his dwelling place, which is the church. We've also heard Pastor Bert talk many times about what the church is. And the church isn't just a building. The church is you and me, us. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're part of the church of God. And it's his house. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Verse 20. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places. 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave, them to be, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body of God on the earth. And we're all members of that body. Some are heads of things in the church, some are hands and feet, and some are singers, and some are preachers, and some are child care workers, and some are teachers, and we all have a part to play. Every one of us has a part to play. The church, which his body, you and me, us, together, we make up the body of Christ. God... The house, God's house, is consecrated to God by the people who are in it. By the people who are in it. You know, this, this building, we love this building. I mean, we, we were a long time getting it built. And we're having a long time getting everything finished out. But we love it. And we hope that you love it too. Not because it's beautiful, although I think it is. And not because it's sits up on a hill and looks out over the city and has a beautiful view. But that's not the reason either. The reason is that it's God's house and God's people are in it. And so we think it's wonderful. Second Chronicles seven sixteen says, For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And he's... You know, he's talking about a building, yes, but he's not just talking about a building. He's talking about us. All of us who make up the body of Christ, his church. When he says his church, he's just not talking about a building. And it's a truism that God will never abandon his church, his body, if it's consecrated to him. i got so many notes, I can't keep them all straight here. 
And everything I've said demonstrates God's love for His church. The question is, why does God love His church so much? And Pastor John Holler last week, last Sunday, gave us five reasons that God loves His church. And as I said before, I'd just like to reiterate those five things to, to get them to stick in our spirit. You know, sometimes we, we hear something, and when we first hear it, you know, it sounds great, and gosh, that's okay. But then we leave the church, and we go to lunch or whatever, and we have things to do and all that, and by the time Monday morning comes, we don't remember anything that was said. And I say that because it, it's happened to me many times, and, you know, I'm 80 years old, but I still have good memory, so... Uh, I believe that I'm not the only one that happens to. Of the five reasons, number one is, is because it is, it is his body, as mentioned earlier, his family, his body, the fullness of him who fills in all, fills all in all. Acts 16, verse, beginning with verse 4, says, And as they went through the cities... They delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. The church is how God adds to his body. You know, there, there, there are people who get saved outside the church. But most people get saved either in the church or as a result of something that's taken place in the church. And so, I'm going to give you my testimony. Because I didn't get saved in the church. But I got saved as a result of something that happened in the church that Sarah and I were attending in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Um, I got saved when I was 37 years old, 43 years ago, in a hotel room in Lubbock, Texas, with a little Gideon Good News Bible. What a blessing it was. Right in the front of the Bible was, a, was the plan of salvation, written out in, in a simple way that anybody could understand. And I hate to say it because I'd been in church for many years. I'd been a deacon, I'd been on all kinds of boards, I'd done everything, but I wasn't saved. But I did, I, in my spirit, I kind of had an idea that I wasn't really saved, but I, you know, I was pretty proud of myself, you know, I had a good family, and I went to church regularly, and I did what they asked me to do, and followed all the rules. But once upon a time at that church, we had <clears throat> some people come in which were called lay witness mission. Anybody ever heard of one of those? Lay witness mission? Well, believe me, that one changed my life forever. They were a group of lay people who uh, were part of an association that did this kind of thing. And they came into our church on a Friday afternoon. And they took over the church for the whole weekend. They did everything. They did the music. They did the preaching. They did the teaching. They did uh, the ushering. They did child care. They did everything. So that everybody who was a part of our church 
were just there to, to hear and to see what was going to take place. And so they, they preached a message on a Friday night, and then they had a meeting Saturday morning, and then we had small group meetings all day Saturday, and then they, had a, they preached Saturday night, and then they preached Sunday morning. And while this was going on, the, the man and the woman who were the leaders of this group stayed at our home. And all of the people who came to minister stayed with people of the church body. And what I learned through that process was that these people were real Christians. They weren't like me. They had something that I didn't have. And I knew they had something I didn't have. And so several weeks went by, and at that time I was a district manager for a retail chain, and uh, I had a store in Lubbock, so I was out there to look over that store. And I was really struggling with my church life and with my Christian life, <clears throat> probably because I wasn't a Christian. Makes sense, doesn't it? So I was in this hotel room and I was just in pain, emotional pain, mental pain. And so I knew from past experience, I'd traveled a lot and I'd been a lot of, in a lot of hotel rooms, so I knew from experience that they, they all had a Gideon Bible. They don't all have a Gideon Bible today, by the way. Some, some motels won't let them put them in. But this was a little Gideon Good News Bible, and right in the front of it was the plan of salvation in such simple terms that I couldn't misunderstand it. Now, I'm sure that all the years that I'd been attending church that I had heard the plan of salvation before, but it never soaked in. It just never did soak in. <coughs> Excuse me. So... I read that plan of salvation over and over several times in the scriptures that were, were with it and got down on my knees by the bed in that motel room and asked the Lord to save me. I cried like a baby. I don't know how long I cried. I don't know how long this whole thing took. But when it was over, I was a different person. I was a new man, and I've never been the same since. And I tell that story because, well, first of all, I want to give credit to the Gideons. They've been doing that for many, many, many years, and a lot of people have been saved from it. But for me, it wasn't just that that Bible was there, because I'd been in a lot of motel rooms before that and never read the Bible that was there. But I knew that that change that had come over me then was a result of those people that ministered to us in the lay witness mission. And I am forever grateful, and I forever bless that organization that did that. As far as I'm concerned, they did it just for me. And I, I'm, I'm very grateful. So, his eyes and his heart are on his church. And the church is how he adds members to it. And we're not talking about membership where you sign up to be a member of a church. Membership in his body, an organ, a limb, a toe, a brain of his body, 
All of us who have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior are that. We are part of his body. Whatever you're called to do, and we do it, we're part of his body. Second, is where his people are trained and disciplined. Or discipled, excuse me. <laughs> disciplined too. Uh, is where we learn what the Bible says and how we apply it to our lives. And where we connect with brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans 10.13 says, for, whatever call, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. No ifs, ands, or buts. Shall be saved. Verse 14, how then shall we call on him in whom they have, how then shall they call on him in whom they never believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? The church, the preacher in the church are vital. You know, sure you can listen to preaching on the radio or you can watch preaching on television and and I'm not, I'm not putting that down. Sarah and I watch uh, Christian television all the time, and it's beneficial. But it does not take the place of being in the church building, fellowshipping with brothers and sisters of like mind. It does not replace that. It never can. And even though that preacher that's preaching on television is a member of the body too, He's not a member of the local body. There's no substitute for the local body. You know, uh, I've been going to church for a long, long time. When Sarah and I started coming to this church in June, it be 22 years ago. And I had heard a lot of doctrine. But I have to tell you that even though I'd been saved for a long time after that, a lot of the doctrine I didn't understand. When we started coming here, uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell on the, our church, Miss Becky. When Sarah and I first started coming to this church, uh, they, we were meeting down on Water Street in that little stone building down there. And the parking lot is in the back of the church. And so we came, and we were early. We had attended one other church to try it out, and we decided we weren't going back there. So this was our first time there, and so we, we were early. We parked in the parking lot, and there was a lady in the parking lot that uh, didn't really acknowledge us. But we asked her, is this, this was the back door, do you remember? We asked her, if this is the way you're supposed to go in. She said, oh, yeah, come on in. Just about like that. Oh, yeah, come on in. So we went in, and <laughs> when, we, when we got in the church, there were, there were two rows of pews. And this row here had about 15 or 16 people in it, and this row over here had nobody. There wasn't anybody. So you came in the back door, and you came down a little hallway and came in the front of the, of the sanctuary. So Sarah and I are walking in, and we're walking in front of these 15 or so people that were here. They're all staring at us. But nobody spoke to us. Nobody said a word. So we went over there, and we sat down in a couple of chairs. And we were thinking to ourselves, we're not coming back here. 
But there was a there was a ninety something year old man that was in that group that was right here. Art, I can't remember his last name. Quinn, Art Quinn. What a what a what a man. Love that guy. Anyway, he got up, left all those people, and he came over and struck up a conversation with us and really made us feel welcome. So we weren't sure that we were going to leave then, but, you know, it was a start. <clears throat> and, and I have to tell you, we attended church there for several weeks before anybody other than Art really talked to us. And we found out years later, not years later, months later, that the reason that we were received with such coldness was that a few months before we started coming, the elder that they had at that time had left the church and taken half the, the body with him. And they said that I looked just like him. So they thought I was his brother. So we got over all that and now it's, I think it's the friendliest church on the planet. I really do. I love this church. Again, you know, uh, you can you can listen to preaching on the radio or watch other watch television and all that. But you know there's there's something about being able to come into a body of believers and rubbing shoulders with them, shaking their hands, giving them a hug, listening to their stories, you know, listen to their testimonies and all that. There's something about that that can't be duplicated any other place. You know, there are all kinds of clubs and things, you know, Kiwanis, Lions, all those kind of things where people gather together and they fellowship and all that, but there's no God in it. There's no spiritual fellowship. And I don't know about you, but when I come in this place and I shake hands with Dale or, or uh, Gordon or whoever, there's a spiritual connection that takes place that lifts me up. It makes me feel at home. And I love it. I love this church. I love all of you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Number four, the church is where God's people give testimonies. That's what I'm doing today. You know, I'm just giving a testimony of my life and Sarah's life and how I came to the Lord. Sarah had been a Christian for a long time before I ever was. In fact, she's probably a lot of the reason why I became one because she never quit praying. She's faithful. She is faithful. The fact that we're able to come in here and rub shoulders and fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, people of like mind, is so valuable to building God's church, his family, his body. It's so vital. Oh, I left out one. Number three, that his church is the epicenter of faith in the earth, Pastor John said. Where else on earth can we learn about faith? The God kind of faith. Again, we can see and hear it preached on media, but it's not the same. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You won't learn that in college. You won't learn it in high school. 
you won't learn that even in, well, I won't say that. You learn it in the church. You learn it in a church that preaches it, and this church does. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to hear it. You have to hear it preached. And you can't just get it one time and go away and think you got it. You have to hear it over and over and over and over. And that's one reason why I'm reiterating some of the things that Pastor John taught us. Because we have to hear it again and again. It's important for us to understand that faith is not a feeling. It is not a feeling. It's an action. James says that without faith, without, with, says that faith without action is dead. Abraham demonstrated his faith when he prepared to sacrifice his son, believing that God would make good on his promise to make of Abraham a, a, a father of nations. How could this happen if he killed his only son? Because he believed. He believed, and God had spoken to him over and over about him being the father of many nations. In fact, he changed his name. Changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of nations. So that every time somebody said his name, they were reminding him that God had promised him that he would be the father of many nations. And he believed that, and because he believed that, he believed that somehow, he didn't know how, but he knew that somehow God would continue to to make him the father of nations through his only son, even if he sacrificed him on the altar. Now, that's faith. That's faith. I already said number four, so... <clears throat> Excuse me. How am I doing on time? So number five is God loves the church because of the price he paid for it was so great. God gave His Son, His only Son, to die on the cross to purchase our redemption from sin and give us a place in His family. Jesus willingly went to the cross for us and God willingly gave His Son for us that we might become the church, His body, you and me, us. Jesus paid an awful price. If you've never seen the movie, The Passion, the Passion of Christ. I don't remember what the full title is. I urge you to see it. It really portrays a lot of what Jesus went through. But even as badly as that suffering was portrayed in that film, it doesn't begin to accurately describe what Jesus went through. We'll never be able to understand what Jesus went through. Because we haven't lived it. But God knew. And that was the price that he paid. Sending his son. His only son. To go through all that. Not for himself. Not for God himself. But for all of us. That we might be redeemed. From our sins. That we might have a place in his family. Awesome. Awesome price he paid. And he did it because he loved us so much. You know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God doesn't just love us who have accepted him as, as Savior. 
He loves the whole world. It's his desire that everybody be saved. And the church is the primary vehicle that is used to make that happen. The church. Now comes the step on your toes part, okay? Because he loves us, he and his word has given us some instruction on how we ought to conduct, our, conduct ourselves, how we should love him back. You know, we demonstrate our love for God by how? Being obedient to what he tells us through his word or through the leadership of the spirit. That's how we love him. You know, if you're a parent and you have children, you know that when your children obey you, it shows that they love you. It's no different with God. We're patterned after God. We're part of God's family. Matthew 6.33 in the Amplified Version says, But seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all, His kingdom and His righteousness, His way of doing and being right, and then all these things together will be given to you besides. That word seek, they gave us a couple of synonyms for it there. Uh, aim at and strive after. But another synonym is research. Research. Research God and find out what He expects us to do. Find out what He has for us. Find out what He's giving to us. And demonstrate your love for Him by doing what He tells us to do. There are many ways we can and should put God first, really. In every choice we make, we should ask ourselves, where is God in this choice? That sounds pretty trivial, doesn't it? But the Word says that we're to pray without ceasing. It means to be in constant communication with the Holy Spirit. It means seeking Him in every choice that we make, whatever it is. Does He care what you wear today? Does He care what you eat for dinner? Does He care who your friends are? Does He care whether you come to church? He cares about everything. So whenever you make a choice, it should be a considered choice. And it should be considered based on what God wants from us. I once gave a message titled, Decision Determines Destiny. It's a pretty good word, I thought. Anyway, neither here nor there. <clears throat> the quote from that, from that message is, Remember, what you are today is the sum total or result of all the choices you have made in your life. Where we are tomorrow depends on the choices we make today. Stephen Covey, who was an American educator, author, and motivational speaker, wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. His most famous quote was, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reach a habit, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And it's true. 
You know, every choice that we make influences the next choice that we make. <clears throat> if we make bad choices, we're influenced to make bad choices going further. If we make good choices, then we're influenced to make good choices going further. And I'm here to tell you that they are cumulative. The more you make bad choices, the easier it is to continue to make bad choices. But the converse is true as well. If you make good choices, you will be motivated to continue to make good choices going forward. So that those, those cumulative choices determine who you're going to be. Now... I want you all to know that I'm not talking down to you about this. I'm talking to me, too. I've made many, many, many bad choices. But I've made a lot of really good choices, too. I've been married to this woman for 54 and a half years. And that was a really good choice. Expecting another 54. But until you understand... <clears throat> the effect that that has on how you make choices in the future, if you don't understand that, you'll be taken in by the lies that the devil speaks into your ears to do this or to do that that's against the will of God. You will be. It's a fact of life. The Word says that bad company corrupts good morals. That's an absolute fact. That's an absolute fact. That's a, that's a scientific fact. So, given all that, <clears throat> I want to spend the next couple of minutes, not a real long time, but a couple of minutes, talking to you about money. Now, some people don't like you to talk about money in the church. You know, they get their nose out of joint over it. <clears throat> but did you know that there are more references in the Bible about money than there is about love? that there is about almost every other subject it talks about money. And that's no accident. God talked to us in his word about money because he knows that money is something that we're going to use every day and something that we're going to make major decisions over. And they are major decisions. Well, some of them are trivial, but most of them are major. Consequently, since the Bible says so much about it, we should talk about it in the church, shouldn't we? Yeah. I'm one of those that used to be offended when the, when the preacher would talk about money. That was before I got saved, but, you know, I was offended whenever they, whenever it's time for the offering, I was offended. And I didn't want to give. I didn't want to give anything, but I'd scratch around and get five or ten dollars and put it in there. <clears throat> But I didn't want to. So because I didn't want to, it had no value to me at all. So consequently, when we talk about, the, about it in church, going back to Matthew 6.33, we should seek God first in all matters of our finances. The word's really pretty Almost couldn't get that word out. Specific. My tongue got twisted around my eye tooth, and I couldn't see what I was saying. <laughs> In Malachi 3, 
you've heard this scripture a lot, uh, but it never hurts to hear it again. Verse 10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And verse 11 says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in your field. Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25 says, There's one who scatters, yet increases all the more. Let's talk about seed time and harvest. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Verse 25 says, The generous will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Basic principle of self-time and harvest. You know, the... The word says itself and seed time and harvest will endure to the end of the earth. And it's true. And if you've ever planted the seed, you know what the process is. You receive a bunch of seeds in addition to that one. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he, he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Seven, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. That's a marvelous promise, and I can tell you it's been true in Sarah and I's lives for many, many years now, 43 years. Since I've been saved. Now I'm getting ready. I have one more scripture. I'm getting ready to close. I could go on and on about money. And quote scripture after scripture after scripture. That talks about money. But these should suffice to make the point. That God is very concerned. And conscious of what we do with our money. So we should seek his guidance in every choice we make about how to spend it. And when it comes to that, God's house should be a priority. Remember it says in 2 Chronicles 7.16 that God's eyes and his heart are on his house. Now I have to give a little caveat to all this that's going into this and tell you that I want you to please understand that I'm not teaching this in order to squeeze some money out of you. That doesn't happen in this church. We give you this information so that you'll be educated about what God has to say about money and how his priorities are on his church. And again, when the Bible talks about his church, he's not just talking about a building, although the building is part of the whole package but he's talking about you and me, us, that are all pieces of his body. I'm not sure what piece I am, but I'm a piece. I wrote this down, and uh, I'm just going to read it because I don't think I can get it all out if I don't. So, God's eyes and heart 
are in and on his house, not only that it should reflect his excellence, but it, that it should be a place of learning about him through his word, a place of peace, comfort, joy, fellowship, and safety. I believe that this house is that. We need to put God first by honoring his house. And that's not just talking about money. That's talking about be, being willing to help make the, to help the church to operate the way it should. This church is so blessed to have so many great volunteers that make these services possible and make them pleasant and make them meaningful. And every one of those people do it because it's in their heart to serve God through serving these pastors by serving this congregation. And God never forgets anything we do that's consecrated to Him. As I said earlier, God will never abandon His church if it's consecrated to Him and to His work.